I hope you're ready for an awesome guest. I have Trevor Timmerberg today with me as we talk about self-discipline, mistakes that don't define us as individuals, and breaking the leadership label in the sense of switching things to a positive instead of constantly labeling each other in the negative. I'm so excited for our conversation today as we also dive into restorative practices and what it means to be a disciplinarian as a leader. Welcome back everyone to Aspire, the leadership development podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Trevor, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been great to connect with you on social media, but it's even better to see you and have a conversation with you about leadership topics, especially restorative practices, something that's near and dear to my heart. But before we dive into that very, very important topic, will you just share a little bit about your leadership journey? Yeah, well, I appreciate it. So I think leadership journeys are, are an excellent way to start too, because it helps people come full circle and realize that everyone has a leadership journey and everyone's a leader in some capacity because they have influence which I think is a fantastic way to start. So have a family uh, rich in military history. Both my dad's brothers were involved in the military. One of them went to West Point. The other one was fighter pilot. My dad was a, was a career uh, as a special agent in the FBI. Their dad was a two-star general in the, in the Army, several tours in Vietnam. So I grew up just steeped in service-oriented leadership and you know, primarily looking at the large scale for the country, but also service towards the people that we get to serve as leaders. So the, I would say I, I can't talk about my leadership journey unless I first identify the bedrock that it was that it was established on. And I would say that's that's it. Majority of my leadership journey took place through athletics. I was blessed with some athletic ability. I was also blessed with a you know a boatload of stubbornness that allowed me just to keep <laughs> putting my head down and, and grinding towards whatever success or whatever I, I was able to have. So I got to experience leadership through being on teams, uh, captain, captain of the team, you know, a guy in the locker room that was, could offer some, some good advice or, uh, you know, a guy in the field that people could model themselves after or based on my work ethic. Yeah. I'm not always the biggest, fastest, best player on the field, but I think I did some of the intangibles well enough to be worth modeling after in, in some capacity. And I say that because those are the guys I modeled myself after. And I had tremendous coaches and older guys on teams and stuff like that, that I got to see firsthand what, what a leader did before I could articulate what that looks like. Because I think, I think part of a leadership journey is just kind of identifying with an example and just following that forward until you find another example. You just kind of keep building on that as, you, as you're stair-stepping your way through leadership. Then I get to college. I got to play division one athletics. L- lacrosse was my sport. And then you know, my leadership journey continued to evolve. I had to work with people from all over the entire country and in different provinces within Canada. And it was a melting pot and it was exceptionally challenging. And I really sucked at it for a while because <laughs> you go from high school, top of the food chain, bottom of the food chain in college. Sure. It doesn't matter what kind of ability you have. The best players in the world are all coming to the same place and they were all the best players on their teams. Mm-hmm. So it was a challenge and it was like a swift kick in the rear end. And I think it was exactly what I needed. And so, you know, through that time, it kind of evolved and different things like that. I had a, had an injury that sidelined me for a while, uh, really came into uh, a deeper understanding and connection of my, with my faith, which helped me then understand that selfless service uh, as a leader. I think Christ was this leader that, that 
truly embodied what it looks like to be of the flesh, but also to be connected to something higher than that. And then moving out of college, you know, I got, I did the extra school thing, got the master's, started teaching in a, in a urban public school, which I absolutely loved. And I had to, you know, I was forced to learn how to connect with students that I was nothing like. Uh, talk about a leadership challenge and talk about a, a blessing to change the paradigm of how we see the world. And so that was awesome. And then, you know, various leadership roles that, you know, all great teachers have had the opportunity to go through much better than myself. And, you know, being a team lead, being involved on different boards and, and, and different spinoffs at, at the school. But then I, then I joined the military uh, much later in life, which was, again, like a long time coming. And it, again, another punch to the stomach as far as just being absolutely humbled of something I thought I, I knew of, I knew nothing about. <laughs> and, and so you're, you're relearning. I think one of the, if I'm looking at a common theme through my leadership journey is that I kind of jumped off the deep end and had to figure out how to survive in certain situations and settings and with groups of people. And then what allowed me to, you know, find my, find my rhythm, find my stride or my stroke to, to stay above water was identifying core principles and different aspects of what makes me a leader mm -hmm. and what makes me, what allows me to be an example for other people that is helpful. Doesn't mean I'm an example for everything, but there's areas that I can be an example. And I think that looks like a lot through service building trust, doing the right thing, all those things. And, uh, and that got me to where we are here today, which is, uh, you know, I'm one of the leaders as a director of students, just a assistant principal in my, in the high school that I work at. Uh, I'm a leader through the military as a commissioned officer in the United States army and new venture is uh, I'm going to be a leader of a family with uh, my wife to be in December, which I'm absolutely thrilled about. Yeah. So my leadership journey is ongoing. And I think that's awesome. I think that's what leaders should do is that we continue to learn, refine, and then kind of keep pushing into the unknown. So going back to your leadership journey, you're now a assistant principal, like you said, but the title is director of students. So was that something as a teacher, you felt like, you know, this is something I'm, I'm aspiring to be someday, or was there some, someone that kind of tapped you on the shoulder and was like, Hey, have you ever thought of this before? Yeah. I, I love your concept of aspire because I think what we, what we dream towards, what we're looking for in the, you know, down the road in the future really starts to align our path to go towards that. So it absolutely was. I've always sought leadership roles and I think it's because I, I, I crave or I strive for that burden of responsibility right. and also the, the burden of, of being able to serve the, the people that I'm, I'm with. And uh, I think I have some good ideas. I don't ever walk into a room thinking I'm the smartest guy because typically I'm not. <laughs> but uh, I, I know that I can align with certain people and I think I have some good ideas and I connect with people in a way. And, and what I really try to do is connect other people around me. So that we have like, you know, we kind of circumnavigate this leadership journey together and we can, we can, we can move mountains. We can make things happen. We can change people's lives for the better because uh, it's super easy to be transactional in a leadership role, kind of shift into that managerial tendencies where you're just checking boxes and clocking in, clocking out. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's an aspect of leadership. But when it shifts in that transformational side of things and we try to figure out how we're trying to help people achieve potential. I mean, that, how ambiguous is that? I mean, that's an intangible thing that we can, you know, it's like the wind. We see it go by and we can see the effects, but we're not going to be able to grab it or really point at it either. So, yeah, I think 
uh, I've always looked towards that that leadership journey. I'm, I'm just started my doctorate journey, which is another layer, and uh, and I'm realizing how much I don't know about leadership. I mean, it, I had class all weekend, and wow, I have so much to learn, and it's so fascinating to hear people through these different journeys from different backgrounds. Again, this melting pot. I just hey, get me to the edge because I'm going to jump, and uh, and we're going to figure things out on the way down. It's not going to be perfect, but we're going to be better after after we go through that experience. Now, I know within your role, you obviously have a lot of interactions with students and you work with student discipline. So Mm -hmm. within your journey, as far as an assistant principal, have you tried to transform kind of the traditional model of discipline or have you tried some new things? A hundred percent. And I've tried some new things. I don't think they're unique to me, but I think they're a little bit more innovative in that space of you know, I get called a disciplinarian and nothing makes my, my skin crawl like that. And I understand it. And I think discipline is a, a necessary. I am a hyper disciplined person through the military, through my own self, just in my upbringing. I understand the, the importance and significance of a disciplined life and the impact it can have on success. However, uh, and we, we talked about this a little bit, and I've said this in several different ways, is that I consider myself not a director of students, but a director of culture. Mm-hmm. Trying to, I think what leaders do is just like any good coach, you put people in the right positions where they can achieve the most success individually, but then also where they can achieve the most success interdependently with one another, with that shared focus, that shared mission towards, you know, a better future. And I think that looks different, but regardless of the environment or the setting, leaders influence people to be better, both individually and collectively. And I think we, you know, we can kind of deduce it down to its most elemental form. And I think that's, that's a key aspect of it. I think Kennedy, uh, former President Kennedy talked about it. It's like leadership is helping people achieve the potential within themselves. Yeah. And when I look at my role is I'm trying to help my students achieve that potential. I can't do that if I don't know who they are. I, we have about 1,250 students in our high school. I don't know every single one of their names. And that pains me. Because I try so hard to know all their names. And I don't know if I'll ever get there, but I am so intentional about trying to identify who they are as individuals so that I can create and help cultivate. And it's not just me, but we can cultivate that culture so they feel like they can achieve that potential. They have the safety and security and the encouragement to launch and just to to go into the abyss of of whatever God has made them or intended them to be. And I do that. I think my primary setting for that is the lunchroom. Think about the lunchroom. People are vulnerable when they eat. You've got your mouth open, you're chewing. Right. People see what kind of food you're eating, right? You know, it's limited somewhat with, uh, and we have a tremendous lunch at my school, but you know, it's limited somewhat. You're sitting with people you choose to sit with typically, and you're, in a, you're just in kind of a vulnerable setting. But all, most things happen that are, are positive and, and intimate in the sense of, of understanding one another around food. Or around a meal. So I try to be super intentional about popping around to different tables, talking with my guys. It's an all boys school and, uh, and just checking in. And I can kind of insert myself in some of those conversations that are ongoing. And I get so much information. That's my formative assessment yep. is the lunchroom. What are they talking about? Who are they talking about? What are they with? Or, or who are they with? Are, are they eating enough? That, that's, that, that's a temperature check on where they're at. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it gives me all sorts of, of data which I don't really, I think that's like a four letter word in a, in a different sense, but that's my formative assessment to see where my students are at. And then I start to kind of piece it together. And I eat with my students 
98% of the time because it's my way of kind of shepherding my flock, of watching over my guys and figuring out how I can posture position them to be successful so that I am not, ne- I am not necessary to be present, but it can take place without me or, you know, replace me with anyone. It could be, it could be done without uh, one individual. So Trevor, me and you have had conversations before about restorative practices. And, you know, that term is being used more and more, which I love, but at the same point, it's certain to have its meaning changed. And so I'm curious what you believe restorative practices is. Yeah. Yeah. I think restorative practices is this ever evolving pursuit of trying to help students understand and grow from learning experiences. My number one point I make when I have students and their parents in my office with the counselor, and we're having that, that critical, very critical conversation. A lot of times when they're in there with their parents, it's not because they did something that was they're super proud of, but a win for me is that they leave my office feeling like I did them a favor, even though I provided the consequences that are probably severe and, you know, consistent with, with our, with our policies and our protocols, which we call our code of conduct, but they're thanking me because I still spoke life into their, their son. And I say my number one line, and I mean it every time. And, and, and I don't leave a meeting without saying, I said, I tell my guys, I go, you know, whatever the name is, I'll say, Joshua, this situation, this circumstance, what you did does not define who you are. It does not. It, it happened. It was a mistake. It was a poor choice, but it doesn't define you. What does define you is how you choose to respond to this moving forward. Because at the end of the day, you are only armed with the choices that you have. And that is how we define who we are as, and I'm talking to my guys, who we are as men. So right now you can move forward and completely shift the trajectory of your future and you have complete control over it. But what happened previously is not it. We're going to learn from it and we're going to move forward and I'm going to be here pulling you forward or pushing you from behind, but whatever it is, we're moving in the direction of where you can be more successful. And I think the parents really value that. And I mean, I, you know, I'm heartfelt when I mean it. I had, I had students in my head when I was saying that because that's who I'm seeing when I'm trying to encourage them. I just want to speak that life. I want to sow those seeds into them. I don't have to be there to harvest them. I don't have to be there to see it to come to fruition, but I'm not doing my job if I am not staging or setting the conditions for them to be the successful human beings that they're capable of becoming. And I love what you're talking about before too, you know, your temperature checks and, you, you know, bring the parents in and having that restorative circle and bringing in your resources. And then also, of course, making sure your, your students know that their mistakes don't define you, right? Because yeah. uh, that's so important. I tell that my students the same thing, that they're just, their poor choices do not define them. It's how they respond to those choices. That's what yeah. defines you, right? So I love the fact that you're having those conversations with your students that way. But I also... This brings up a good topic, which is, you know, with those poor decisions, sometimes labels are placed on students. So what are you doing on your campus to break down those labels or change, like you said, the culture of a school? Yeah. Yeah. I think labels are, are critical. And, and a lot of times we look at the, the kind of the dark side of labels and how that label can be negative. And absolutely they can be, right? I'm a slow reader, not very good at math. I just, I take a little bit longer to, to learn things and to understand, yeah. you know, I'm a little bit too stubborn or bullheaded. You know, those, those labels rattled off the bat because they're labels that I deal with. <laughs> you know, I'm insecure about my ability to, to be a learner academically because it doesn't come naturally for me, right? Those are labels I've dealt with. And, and I don't think labels are wrong, but what I try to encourage 
myself, the, the teachers within my building, and anyone that is in a, a leadership position where they have influence over, over people, they don't have to be students. They could be 40, 50 years old. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. Everyone has leadership you know, at a higher echelon above them. But how are we going to use those labels and shift that paradigm so that we can push that, those labels and breathe life into a, into a human being to prepare them for more? Hey, I love how hardworking you are when you face a problem. Hey, you could apply that to be any of the labels I just said, slow at reading, bad at math, uh, insecure academically. I love how complex your, your, your problem solving skills are. Mm-hmm. I love how you connect the people in your group to bring a better discussion to your project. I love how hardworking that you choose to be, even though this comes pretty easy to you, right? These are all labels. I mean, these are just slight shifts to be a transformational leader or to practice transformational leadership, I should say, because I don't claim to be that, but to practice transformational leadership, it's just a slight pivot. It's just a, a, uh, just a slight turn in the direction of how can we, how can we shift the focus into the present leading into the future, observing, identifying, recognizing what's happening right here in front of us, right? That would be classrooms. That'd be hallways. That'd be lunchrooms. Or, you know, if you're looking in an office, you know, it'd be a cubicle, it'd be a boardroom, wherever. And how are we identifying and, and, you know, observing the area around us, the people identifying and recognizing critical aspects of that so that we can shift that to push it in the right direction. If you're lost, if we do land navigation in the military all the time, number one rule is know where you are right now. I can never get to where I want to go. If I don't know where I am, if lost, find it, find, find a known area, find a known boundary point, find a known uh, cross section. Once you get there, then reorient yourself and figure out how you're going to move forward into that direction. I think that's what leaders do. We identify where we're at. We understand how that impacts our next decision. And we chart a course moving forward. We may, we may not know exactly the end state, but we have a direction that we can, we can shift and we can push and, and guide and urge the human beings that we get to lead towards that direction. And I think that's what the best leaders do. And I think putting that label on that speaks life into it because it's labels. I think what, what happens with labels is that you wear name tags, right? A name tag, name tags, a label. So by kind of, you know, planting labels on, on the chest of somebody, you know, metaphorically speaking, it helps them take ownership of that. How, how powerful is that? I just, I rattled off five labels that were insecurities of mine through my academic life that are real easy for me to grab onto because you know, I found ways to reinforce those throughout my lifetime. However, we can shift the paradigm again and we can, you know, invert the understanding and put positive labels on, on our students so they can grab onto those things when times are getting tough, right? Because they will. And if we're preparing our students, we almost want them to be so they can fortify who they are as individuals, their individual identity. But we put those labels, you know, on their chest and we allow them to be able to access that the next time they need to. And then reinforce a label of hardworking, critical thinker, problem solver, compassionate, life-giving. You know, all these things can be can be moved into any category. It doesn't it's not acad- it's not solely dependent on academics. So that their whole life isn't going to be around academics, even if they are a teacher. So what are, how are we positioning them for success to have those labels to benefit their futures? So Trevor, talking about labels, you know, you said the 
other four-letter word was data, and data does show that boys have an increase in discipline infractions on a campus, and you're in a school with all boys. So what are some strategies that you found to make a greater impact with the behaviors of, of boys? Yeah, my guys are great and sometimes rowdy. Yeah. <laughs> so I think th- th- there's several ways. I don't think there's any, th- there's no recipe for success, but there's ingredients that we can use to be successful consistently. Presence. I try to be the first thing they see when they come onto campus every day. And I'm using their name when I'm calling them out. Hey, Joshua, good morning, bud. Hey, Jeremiah, how was the game last night? Hey, Drew, tell me about it. What, how did, how did quick recall go? Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, Kemper. You got the Madden uh, eSports game on Thursday night. Let me know how it goes. I'm rooting for you. You know, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm trying to get those touch points, those figurative touch points with my students consistently. I'm the first thing they see, right? So I also represent our, our discipline. I'm the first thing they see, and I'm encouraging them about something about who they are uniquely as individuals, joking with them, laughing with them. Sometimes I got handshakes, different fist bumps, you know, unique interactions. So that presence, I think, is part. Same thing with the lunch. Through authentic conversation, the prefrontal cortex is not fully developed in teenagers, boys, girls, anybody. However, those conversations, I can I can start to impart some of the aspects of that self-discipline that I was talking about, right? I'm building trust in a, in a positive way because they know if I do have to correct them, oh, it's okay. Mr. T cares about me. Like I was, I was messed up. I was doing it wrong, right? He's still going to hold me accountable, but that doesn't mean I care any less. And I think genuinely caring about our students. This is, this is a huge label on authority figures in schools that they have to be these disciplinarians, these cold, um, calculated and, uh, kind of emotionally deaf, uh, individuals. And I would argue the exact opposite. It, it pains me to discipline my students, but I think we're called to discipline them, provide discipline, if we love them. Right. And I would say if, you, if you're in a school, but you love your kids, you know, and I think it's a very healthy thing to have adults that are willing to, to devote their careers to building up the next generation of leaders. And so, you know, we have, we, we need to be able to, to, to speak life to them and be raw with, with our emotions that we care about our students. And I'm saying this, you know, in perspective, we keep it healthy and it, it's appropriate at all times, but we have to find ways to, to lift up, lift them up. So, you know, I think we, I talked about presence. I talked about the communication side. And then I talked about the accountability piece. And I think within the communication and the accountability, helping students understand the reason why behind the what. This is the rule. You have to be in dress code. Why? Because we're trying to teach you how to be, you know, our, our mission statement is be men of faith and character. We're trying to teach you how to be a man of faith and character. And you conduct yourself in that way, but you carry yourself in that way then you start to absorb the values that associate with it. Now, that doesn't mean you have to wear this to have faith and character, but this is how we embody the values that we have, right? right? How do we embody re- respect one of our core values? Well, how we communicate to one another. So if you're, if you're cursing at somebody, if you're, if you're talking down to somebody, calling names, blurting out, that's not showing respect. You wouldn't want me interrupting you, right? And, and I think that's a, that's a key point when it comes to, to leadership, especially in a school, is that are we imbi- are we showcasing like what I said at the beginning? Are we being an example for the behaviors, the the language? Are, are we living out what we expect to see in our students? Yep. And I think if you can do that, I, I try to boil down 
my the mission focus of my um, of my leadership in the school is that I'm trying to cultivate uh, an environment and foster a community of students that reflect self self discipline. And for me, that self discipline comes through their faith and character. I have the privilege to pray over my students at the end of each class, and and I want to do that in in connection with the adults in the building and their peers to promote that learning environment. And I think what that looks like, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm fleshing that out, is I have to build trust. I do that by being competent, caring, communicative, and present, right? That's how I build trust. And then I also have to do the right thing. When, when one of my guys messes up, I got to call them on it. Yep. I can do it in a loving way, and they can, be, they can feel restored because I've developed that trust and that relationship ahead of time to help them learn from that moment. Again, I'm not looking for compliance. I'm looking for cooperation. I, I want them to understand so it doesn't happen again. So it's a learning moment and it helps develop them as a human being. It's not a punishment. It's a consequence. Consequences can be good or bad. We determine that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. I know we're winding down in our conversation and, you know, the podcast was created for aspiring leaders. And I always ask for an actionable item for my guests. Uh, and that could be for an aspiring leader or for a current leader. But for those folks, what can they do tomorrow or next week to help in their leadership journey? Yeah. So I think I have two things. And I love this question because leadership without action is, is just theory. Yep. You know, it, you have to have action. There needs to be application. I think an immediate one I have an immediate one and then one, you know, a couple of days, a few weeks down the road. Immediate one is you don't have to be connected in person with good leaders. I get to listen to your podcast every week. I've become a better leader because of that. Ryan Scott, Marty Silverman, yeah. right? And, and then I extend outside of the education. I think podcast, books, YouTube, Principal Cafele, all-time hero of mine. Before I got into the world of education or as I was getting into the world of education, he does now a free AP Leadership Academy on Saturday morning. He is on fire, yeah. is what he says at the beginning. And he is. But we have access to these juggernauts, these heroes in the educational sphere. Like I listed off, you're being one of them. And I get to learn from you. And we don't even have to converse. Right. So that, I would say, find the resources of leaders that, you, that are worth following. Just like I talked about in my leadership journey. I attached myself to the people I wanted to be like. I couldn't tell you exactly how I knew that they were being a good leader but I can start modeling what they do. And then I start learning from that. And then I start to kind of work my way back into the understanding behind it. So that's the short-term one. Find the resources, just saturate yourself with leaders of all varieties, develop a mission statement for your leadership. And the reason why I say that, and this is the military side of me, so I didn't understand this until you know, almost in my thirties, but having a mission statement, it defines and refines your daily actions. It's kind of like your azimuth, which I talked about with land navigation. It, it's your point of direction, keeps you on target towards that. You'll deviate, you'll get off, you'll stop, you'll go backwards. That's not, that's not what matters. Reorient yourself, find where you're at, and then stay on that line. And I think it, you know, like I said, build trust and do the right thing. If I boil all my leadership down to that, I'm, I'm gonna be heading in the right direction. I heard a really awesome quote the other day. I can't, I think it was on uh, the principal leadership lab with some other uh, teach better 
guys. Yeah. And he said, if you show up in every conversation and in every interaction with compassion, you'll never have to apologize because you never, you never acted outside of yourself, right? You, you, you can maintain that restorative inter, interpersonal connection. Well said. Trevor, sure. before we're done, will you please just share with the listeners how they can connect with you on social media? Yeah, so pretty simple for me. Uh, I just I primarily just use Twitter, Trevor underscore T-Berg, T-B-E-R-G. Uh, I got a mouthful of a last name, so that simplifies things for people. Well, Trevor, thank you for one for those kind words, because I, I'm honored by, by what you said um, as far as the podcast, because you know hopefully we're bringing value, but it's, it's folks like you who are practitioners, right? You're in the work every single day, um, trying new things, and like you said, building that trust and really hunkering down on the relationship aspect of leadership, which I absolutely love. So I'm super excited to see what you're going to do in the future. Um, I know you're making great success with your students, you know, and you also got some exciting things going on, right? You're getting married, you're getting your doctorate. I mean, the, the sky's the limits for you. And I'm just so happy that you were able to come onto the Aspire podcast and just share so much wisdom. So thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for the opportunity. I feel uh, both honored and privileged.